You're listening to With Woman, a podcast hosted by midwives Sophie and Ashley. Join us as we help you to navigate the transition from womanhood to motherhood and everything in between. With Woman is your unfiltered and raw guide to empowering you to trust the process in hopes that each episode leaves you feeling a little more supported through your journey. Before we get into this episode, a little disclaimer. Although we are midwives, the information discussed in this podcast is not intended to substitute the care or advice of your healthcare provider. And we swear a lot. Mainly it's just me that's swearing. So here's your warning on that too. Hello. Hello. Got a little exciting episode today. Yeah. This is episode 11. Yeah. Breastfeeding well- <laughs> 101. Welcome. <laughs> Now, I feel like every single midwife has a niche 100% of what they, not only what they love, but what we're good at as well. And I think a good midwife recognizes when something's not particularly high on their skill set. Yeah. Like, for example, (laughs) Ash and I, we love our antenatal and intrapartum care. And like, we know postnatal as well. We look after women postnatally too. And it's equally as important. Yeah, it is. But... We're just not that it's good not at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm amazing at, like, teaching a woman how to breastfeed. But you can. Oh, I, I can do it. But it's not, like, my love. Our passion. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Our it's passion. not my passion. Our passion really lies in intrapartum care supporting women and yeah, families and through antenatal. labor. Yeah. So we've outsourced today. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Samantha and Catherine here from Midwifery and Lactation Sydney to help uh, tackle some frequently asked questions and some basic intro into breastfeeding. These two beautiful women are actually co-founders of ML Sydney and ML Sydney actually provides services to support and assist families in the transition from pregnancy to motherhood. Founded during COVID, they both saw a deficit in easily accessible information that not only educates families, but it's actually delivered in a way that acknowledges the emotional changes that actually occur during this time. Yeah, so not only are they lactation consultants, they're also midwives. And they're also nurses as well. And nurses, and have a couple of extra certs in perinatal mental health as well. So they're very clever women and we're very lucky that they've agreed to come on our podcast today. So thank you both for joining With Woman, the podcast. We're very excited for you to share your wisdom with us today. Firstly, before we jump into all things breastfeeding, do you mind introducing yourselves to our listeners? So I'm Catherine. And I'm Sam. Um, and we are midwifery and lactation Sydney. And we both have about eight years experience as midwives, both registered nurses, and both are lactation consultants, internationally board certified. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, that's kind of us. Um, Sam has her, I'll let you talk to be yourself, actually. <laughs> um, I also have a grad certificate in perinatal mental health, which is super useful yeah. in terms of all things breastfeeding yeah, and sort of transition to motherhood. How did you guys, like, come together? So we met working on a postnatal ward, actually, like, years ago, towards the beginning of our career. Um, and I think we're both just very similar sort of in our practice mm-hmm. and we spent years working together so we knew we worked together well mm. um, and then we both sort of just found that we were quite passionate about the same things like fourth trimester breastfeeding 
all of that. So I think when we both become lactation consultants, it was sort of a no-brainer to sort of do it together. Yeah. Um, Have someone to, like, bounce ideas off and, like, always have a backup too. So if I can't see someone, Catherine can see them. That's nice. Yeah. And you trust that you're on the same wave, like, in terms of your care that you provide. Um, dream like handover was if I got to hand over like Sam's patient I got hers because everything was done yeah and we're all in like the right mind kind of relate, kind of relate. <laughs> like, this is gonna be a great show yeah <laughs> or like also just to be able to hand over to someone and be like my bad like I haven't done this yeah, yeah. yeah. I miss yeah. this I'm so yeah. sorry yeah yeah I was always just like mm, I was yeah. <laughs> true actually what am I going on about <laughs> But it's a trust that you have, yeah. which, which when you're starting your own consultancy outside of the realm of public health, it's nice to have that yeah. fallback yeah. and that support. Yeah, and I know she's going to be saying the same thing that I would say yeah. to women, maybe in like a smarter way. Although <laughs> I'll just keep sucking up to her. Yeah. <laughs> so she's never been you're, already, you're already working together, guys. Like. <laughs> um, but, you know, like it's that complete trust that yeah. we're not going to have two different of uh, like plan for yeah. a woman so if I'm sick she could easily take over mm. my patients and vice versa yeah, and you need to be thing. aligned in in yeah. educating particularly around breastfeeding yeah because yeah. I'm sure as all your <laughs> listeners are aware that the main complaint of a postnatal woman is getting different advice yes. from lots of different yeah, health yeah. Professionals. we find that a lot 100% yeah. and what drew you both to certifying yourselves in lactation I think because we both probably our preference area was always postnatal mm. it was kind of like a natural progression right. to do and especially we'd kind of like done so many years of midwifery that it was kind of that natural step to take mm-hmm. um and it sounds weird but I just really love breastfeeding I was about yeah. to say like do you love it yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like as a midwives you have your like thing yes <laughs> isn't that just so insane yeah. because Ash and I were legit just saying like Antenatal and intrapartum is like our thing. Yeah, we love it. Whereas like postnatal breastfeeding, I'm like stresses me out. Yeah, I'm, which I think it does for lots of people too. Yeah. So I think when we were both like, oh my god, we love this. Like it's yeah. the coolest thing ever. We're like, we should probably commit to this. I get to the yeah. point where I'm like, this woman has beautiful nipples that this little person should be attaching to, and yeah. it's not. Now what do I do? Like, it's not working. I'm out of options. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm like, oh my gosh, call me like. <laughs> And I think being an LC too, like sort of motivation to do that was as a midwife, we're only seeing women up until sort of six weeks yeah, postpartum. Yeah. Being an LC has given us such a bigger scope to see like babies and like toddlers yeah. as well. Oh, so you, like you do that far yeah, up until yeah. weaning. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So like, I think one of my oldest clients is like 19 months. And um, she's sought you guys out at around that time yeah. or you've followed yeah. her through the whole time no so okay. she sought us out for weaning but there have been okay. others that are sort of yeah. like we meet like a week or so after delivery yeah. yeah and then we keep seeing them here and there as they have things pop oh, up that's amazing. which is really nice and how are your clients referred to you so we have a sort of range so mainly gps refer mm-hmm. a lot to us um there's a few obstetricians as well so it's great a few private ones we've linked in with that right. then just have somebody they know they can send yeah their women yeah. to and then um, lots of like, um, there's a website often when you like Google, like how to find a lactation yeah. consultant, <laughs> um, there's a website Standard. that people can put their postcode in and it brings oh. up. So that's also oh, that's a common handy. way yeah. as well. Yeah. And then you've got a social media as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's surprising how many people reach DM out you? through that. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's nice too. Like us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I stalked you guys first. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> 
So actually, what is your Instagram? Just so yeah. everyone knows. And so it's at midwifery and with spelt, not yep. symbol, lactation. Okay. So we've just okay. dropped the Sydney part of it. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. Beautiful. Another question we always ask our guests when they come onto the pod is what is your philosophy on what it means to be a mother or motherhood in general? And we'd like you both to answer this individually. Oh no. Professional response. Yeah. <laughs> As our professional response. <laughs> our philosophy on motherhood is that just like everyone's journey to motherhood is different, so is every mother. Um, from the earth mother to the routine mother, they all deserve the same level of support. And we take sort of our role as taking off any external pressures um, and finding a feeding plan that suits their lifestyle and meets their breastfeeding goals rather that's than ours. Important. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And yeah. I think actually that's very refreshing to hear from the both of you being younger yeah. lactation consultants. And I'm not generalizing here in what I'm about to say, but I think sometimes women feel an incredible amount of pressure. You know, they may want to breastfeed, but their choice may be to mix feed. Yeah. And yeah. I think sometimes we're very strong one way, strong the other way, and don't allow for that individuality in yeah. their plans. That's and I, nice. And yeah. I think sometimes women are seeking that, not approval, but mm. that kind of guidance to be like, it's okay yes. that this is going to be my goal. Yes. And we, yeah. it's easier for us if people, if we can get people to be open with us. And just be like, this yeah. is my yeah. goal straight up. Yeah. yeah. It's very right and wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. not black and white. It's yeah. sort of area yeah. in the middle. Yeah. I like that. You're not getting out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mum. Yeah. My philosophy. <laughs> I was thinking about this in the car. I was like, I wonder if they're going to try it's so probably lame, but it's probably, and it took me a while. It probably took Nothing's me to about lame. No, never. five I'm months awake. to get to this point before she cracked me, but it would be to go with the flow yeah, and yeah. just ignore kind of the mum guilt yes. because if I think one way about something and I do it a different way or if I did it a different way, I'm going to feel guilty about either option. So I'm just like, well, I'm just going to be neutral then yeah. about my emotion around it yeah. because I'm not going to bother living like with this heavy guilt. Mum guilt is a, a huge one. Like people talk about mum guilt, mm. but I don't, I, personally I didn't realise how drastic it kind of hits you. Mm. Yeah. And Ash definitely knows this. I think I struggled. You said it, you struggled around the like four or five month yeah. mark at about the four month mark I remember saying to Ash I think I'm gonna stop like start weaning yeah and stop breastfeeding and Ash turned and said really like because I, I watch you with him and you love it but it was the whole I have to breastfeed he won't take a bottle and I feel so yeah. like it was the pressure yeah it was the pressure of just yeah everything but it's very true so let's start with the basics normal breast changes that we see in pregnancy we know that um, prolactin is one of the main hormones that encourages breast tissue growth and eventually milk production. But what should women expect? And at what point in pregnancy do we sling the underwire bras into the back of the wardrobe? Before pregnancy? Yeah. <laughs> 100% get rid of your underwire yeah. bras straight away. The second you realise you're pregnant or before, because they're not that comfortable, yeah. get rid of them straight okay. away. Yeah, because some women's first like sign of pregnancy is their breast changing. Mm. So 
it's really kind of an individual point. Like if you feel like you haven't had much changes, your bras are still fitting you really comfortably, then you don't necessarily have to throw it away. I would advise to because it's more comfortable <laughs> without it. Yeah, so we say right from the beginning is usually our advice. You know, changes in terms of breast, you you can start producing colostrum at 16 weeks. Um, So like probably definitely by that point, I mm-hmm. would be removing transitioning yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. it can interfere in those normal changes and that production yeah and also just like affordable thing your breasts are going to get bigger so mm. it's probably better to invest in a uh, maternity bra mm. if that's where you're like choosing to go mm. rather than buying a bigger bra with a wire underneath yeah. it yeah. so is it just because like the tightness of the bras can stop like your breast changing it's more for like a comfort thing so particularly so definitely when you're breastfeeding in the first couple days you have to get rid of the wire that's not that's a non-negotiable if you're wearing a bra in the first couple days (laughs) um because you can actually potentially develop mastitis and block ducts from underneath Uh, there yeah i've never seen a block duct in pregnancy from an underwire bra but i guess if the bra was Mm. constricting your tissue enough Mm -hmm. potentially but obviously you're producing such small Amounts, yeah. you know, some people will leak, some people won't. It's not a sign of um, how much milk you're going to produce once you've had baby. It's mostly comfort. What would you categorize as normal breast changes in pregnancy? So again, it's really hard because it's really different for every woman. Like Catherine said, sometimes breast changes are the first sign of pregnancy mm-hmm. for um, some women, whereas other women will come into their booking visit at 12 weeks and have no breast changes yet. Mm-hmm. So you'd expect to get like breast changes towards the second half. Mm-hmm. Some people's nipples get bigger. Sometimes their areola gets bigger. Sometimes it gets darker. Sometimes those changes happen like really close to term mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So um, I wouldn't panic either way. We do often ask women Um, particularly if they've got smaller breasts with wider separation, if they've had breast changes in pregnancy, sometimes that can be a sign that maybe they don't have as much functional breast tissue because before pregnancy, your Mm. breast tissue isn't functional. Full breast isn't a sign that you don't have enough breast tissue. It's just one of those kind of like things that we... You can also have larger breasts and also not have enough functional breast tissue. So we just want women to be aware of... If they're having changes, what mm-hmm. kind of changes. Um, and it's a really important part in pregnancy to get to know your breasts. Because often yes. women know their breasts in a bra and their bra size. Mm-hmm. But they don't know, you know, what their nipples are like and all these other mm. things. Cause, because the nipples have a lot of different types. types. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're very individual. individual. <laughs> People don't even think about that. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I'm... In the way in which our society is, is that breasts are often sexualized. Yeah. yeah. And up until you fall pregnant for the first time, you know, in, that's usually how women see themselves in that way. So I think it's a good point you make, and we'll talk about it a little bit later in terms of antenatal expressing, yeah. but the point of getting to know your breasts and getting that mentality slightly differed in the sense of they're about to have a really good function. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah, that's really true. being aware of that earlier on and getting comfortable with touching and holding your own breasts makes that transition yeah, yeah. into breastfeeding, I think, m- much easier mm. for women. Yeah, especially yeah. with like hand expressing and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so for those who've experienced breast surgery before, um, like breast augmentation, reduction, or a history of breast cancer, how do you best prepare for breastfeeding? And are there any additional tools that parents should think about? I think the difficulty thing when women have had any kind of surgery or any kind of um, lumps in their breasts and everything is there's often a lot of emotion. Like mm. as we're talking about like being aware of the breast, there's almost... Uh, even heightened like they are very aware of their breast and there's a lot of anxiety around it mm. um so we do encourage anyone that's had a, any kind of surgery or um, breast cancer or lump removal to have an antenatal appointment um just to start the conversation rolling around plans and also surgery even from like a reduction to implants there's different things going on and also yeah how they perform the surgery yeah. as well. That's an yeah. important one. And a lot of women I don't think realise before surgery that it can even impact breastfeeding. No. Yeah. And some women, if you're getting breast augmentation like really young in age, you don't even really thinking. No, Maybe in exactly. 10 years time yeah. when I might want to have a child. Exactly. Is this and the same with impact? breast cancer. Like if you yeah. find out you yeah. have breast cancer, you're yeah. not going to be thinking about breastfeeding. Yeah, no. exactly. Um, but obviously for things like reduction or augmentation, it's definitely worthwhile asking your surgeon beforehand or just letting them know that you do want to breastfeed. Mm. If that's something you yeah, can remember or it's something like a chance you do get. Um, because like Catherine said, there's different ways a surgery can be done that mm. influence how well you'll be able to breastfeed afterwards. In saying that most people, majority of people still can breastfeed. They can't always breastfeed exclusively because it's okay. normally a supply thing. Okay. Um, but like Catherine said, would encourage them to have an antenatal lactation appointment so they can sort of, again, figure out those goals and sort of get them used to their breasts and the changes. And probably for them, antenatal expressing would be a really good yeah. option too. Yeah. And is it more so if, say for implants, is it if they're a behind or in front of the muscle that like it impacts? Yeah. Or? So, um behind's better because potentially the breasts work by if they're full and the milk's not getting used then they'll stop producing milk so sometimes if the implant's in front what can happen is the breasts think it's full and then it can stop producing milk if that kind of makes like in a very basic way to put it and that's not always the case, but it's just something that we like We like to get the antenatal expressing because sometimes expressing in those first few days can really help those issues. Mm. Um, and, of course, if there's no other contraindications. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in general, how can women best prepare antenatally for breastfeeding? Number one, I think, like we were just saying, get used to your breasts. Like, get used to what they feel like, get used to touching them, get used to, yeah, just know your own breasts. Um, because once baby comes, you're going to see so much more of them than you ever have before. (laughs) And it's going to be so much more helpful (laughs) if you know them before you have baby. And even just being more comfortable with them. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Yeah, Yeah, and just, like, have lots of towels around the house because the amount of milk, like, they're the things you kind of need to prep for is just towels and really basic things um, that are going to assist you with breastfeeding. A breastfeeding course, often, like, through people's hospitals, there'll be, like, a section of it and use that time during those courses to like usually it's a lactation consultant running it hopefully yeah (laughs) Um, and ask them lots of questions and would you refer a lot to like aba videos australian breastfeeding association website for their videos like if women wanted to have a look at how to latch a baby before Um, she has baby (laughs) yes look i think once you need to have a baby yeah yeah, to like Mm -hmm. yeah settle in yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's really good to know like 
about demand feeding, like if you're going to do any research, research demand feeding. I think just being aware of sort of what the first five days or so yeah. will be like, because most people, we can talk about this after as well, but <laughs> most people haven't heard about the feeding frenzy. So when baby's going crazy night two and just wants to be on you 24-7, everyone's freaks out yeah. and thinks something's really wrong. Yeah. Um, or they're not producing enough Or they're not producing enough milk, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I think as well, having your partner, I know some classes are just like mums only, mm. but I think having, making sure your partner does some education too, so yes. they're aware of how they can help. And... Yes. Yeah, because especially like partners often want to f- fix things and mm. um, <laughs> breastfeeding in the first definitely 24 hours warming up to feeding frenzy can seem like something needs to be fixed when nothing needs to be yes. fixed yes. <laughs> or they just want to really help as well yeah how much can they help with breastfeeding yeah, yeah. Like, it can help by supporting their partner oh yeah but, like, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. get them all the snacks yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i guess like stemming on from that what you touched on before there's obviously a lot of breastfeeding tools out yeah. there and in the world um, and a lot that are still being developed and coming onto yeah. the market. And I know the old kind of, I don't know if it's the right term to say, but like the old fashioned midwifery way is less is best and yeah. no intervention if necessary. So obviously there's like nipple shields, harkers. Harkers is a big one, isn't it? Yeah, like that a, a lot yeah. of women will pre-purchase these things, breast pumps, all of these sorts of things prior to having a baby. Is that something that you would recommend? Or do you go with that philosophy of less is best? Unless you've received it as a gift gift, for a baby shower. And there's lots of really well-meaning gifts in baby showers. (laughs) But lots of them are really accessible. Mm. I'm not saying not to use accessories, but you might not need them. Particularly things like sometimes the advertising of these things. There is a really good purpose for these accessories. But the advertising is a very broad, this can fix mm. a lot of things, yes. when sometimes it can only fix a small amount yeah. of things. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't need them. And I think yeah. as well, getting them before you have a baby, like we'll say your breasts, your nipples, everything changes so much mm. that there's a big chance you're going to get the wrong size breast pump or the wrong size nipple shield, um, which can end up doing more damage mm. than good. Yeah. Like, like there's not many size small nipples by the time you've actually had a baby. Yeah. And gone through pregnancy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and naturally you don't want to own up to the fact you yeah. might be a large yeah. <laughs> or, or you just don't know yeah like, when have you ever had to measure your nipple before? well that's the other thing yeah. i think you've just you know probably the listeners just listening to that yeah. then are probably like, hang on wait my nipple size is measured <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> totally don't worry we're not in a consultation getting yeah. a tape measure out and like measuring your nipples we are pretty good at like yeah. estimating <laughs> well, well we're always <laughs> talking about like measuring out perineums <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't include me in that, that would be <laughs> not me. That is so clever, I'm surprised. I haven't thought On work time also. Hey. <laughs> Anything that happens on night shift stays. Yeah. yeah. It's, like it's the witching hour yeah. where you're like a little bit awake but yeah. also not very. A little very... bit crazy, a little bit yeah. like yeah. you tell Tweet. your um, colleagues things that you would have never told them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the things that happen on night shift oh. for sure. So is there anything that you would recommend purchasing i think not really yeah. not unless yeah. you've had an antenatal consult yeah. and even then like unless we know or you have a really high risk of having low supply mm-hmm. we might recommend getting a pump yeah um but most of the time especially shields and stuff like yeah. that we wouldn't recommend getting beforehand because a lot of the time you don't need them and i think just having them there in those moments where you're overtired yes. and you just want something to help yeah if they're there and accessible yeah. you might just 
use them when you mm. actually don't really need them they can do yeah. more damage then and also sometimes it delays you asking for help particularly yeah, with like true. a nipple shield yeah. something's caught if you're trying to put a nipple shield on because your nipples are sore and damaged something's caused that mm. and it's not just it's a band yeah. Yeah. yeah and you mentioned harkers as well yes They're... what are your thoughts <laughs> They're great. They're amazing. But so many, I've had quite a few women that don't realize they're actually a pump. So they yes. just flex your let down. Thank you. They also stimulate the breast. Yeah. And lots of women get themselves into trouble. Yes. And get oversupply mm-hmm. because of that. Because the harkers are actually the ones that suction yes, on. exactly. Yeah. Whereas or silicon breast pumps. Because yeah. there's oh, now there's a few others yeah. on the market. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, yes. <laughs> Do you call, have you seen the medallis discs? Have you seen them? Yeah, so that's so similar to like um, Harker has like a ladybug. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, so are they, they considered well? like a Harker or not? Because they don't actually suction on. I think, I think they just sit on the end. Yeah, so Harkers have um, slight suction yeah. where the disc has none. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Both good tools if used if appropriately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to be collecting your letdown all day, which yeah. is sometimes yeah. the advertisement yeah. because mm. one, that's not a sealed device. Mm. So that's just mm. milk sitting on your breast for however long you're Never collecting it for. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're thinking about, you know, the bacteria that's potentially exactly, forming yeah. and potentially making Particularly things. like yeah. your breasts are quite a warm environment. Yeah. With layers on into winter yeah but if you have like nipple damage it can be a really good barrier in terms of like fabric rubbing Mm. on your nipples and so there's definitely uses for them Mm -hmm. it's once again potentially maybe asking some advice before you start using so uh we want to talk a little bit about antenatal hand expressing Uh, we know from studies like the dame study which just to explain to our listeners, this was a randomized controlled trial looking at breastfeeding outcomes for women with gestational diabetes who express colostrum antenatally from 36 weeks. And it was deemed from that that um, it was quite beneficial in increasing first-time mothers in particular, um, their chance of exclusively breastfeeding on discharge. But do you both mind just describing what antenatal hand expressing is and why women may be advised to attempt this in the third trimester or from 36 weeks? To add on to that, what are your thoughts about the general population of women with no kind of concerning potential breastfeeding history issues uh, expressing antenatally on their own accord? Antenatal expressing is sort of, like you said, it, there, lots of people were doing it for a while and there wasn't a lot of evidence, but then the Dane study did come out and that since then all women with gestational diabetes, given there's no other contraindications, are encouraged to do antenatal expressing from 36 weeks. So it's just hand expressing, not always collecting, like if you can collect some colostrum that's great because babies of parents with diabetes are more likely to have low blood sugars, be separated at birth, and then you have that colostrum which decreases their chances of having to use formula in the first few days. Since then, more women with low-risk pregnancies and no other issues have started doing it, Mm. mainly, again, to get used to their breasts, to get used to feeling it. Lots of people do have to hand express in the first few days for whatever reason, so having that skill before having the baby is really, really helpful, so you're not trying to learn that skill and learning how to latch baby and everything all at once. It's not so much about whether you get anything or not. Mm -hmm. Um, That stimulation is still going to impact your breast changes and everything and the milk coming in. Um, and it's about having that skill. Obviously, there's some reasons. So any sort of threatened preterm labor, yeah. um, if you're having an elective cesarean, because 
there's a low chance that stimulating the nipple and the breast can send you into labor early. So if you're not planning on having a labor and you're having an elective cesarean, we wouldn't recommend it. Threaten preterm labor. And placenta previa. Like you said, placenta previa or something. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. wouldn't recommend it. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about possibly collecting. Yeah. I feel like a yeah. lot of women are like, okay, I'm going to start antenatal expressing, but now I'm not getting anything. So yeah. something's wrong with me. Like something's yeah. wrong with my breasts. Yeah, I think we should time. probably too like step it back a notch and kind of explain what you are expressing like what oh, is yes. it you can do that <laughs> <laughs> so like <laughs> so glad this isn't me <laughs> So it's colostrum, mm-hmm. which is milk, but it's obviously a small concentrated. So it's kind of like not um, obviously. Not sorry, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's like in, one, in this, this room, like, we should know what yeah. colostrum is. What <laughs> yeah. um, a dad actually gave me the best analogy for this. He was like, "It's like butter to the like compared to milk." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah that's kind yeah. of like." You know, a good way of seeing yeah. it. Like, it's nice and rich and really good for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, so, and then to physically, like, hand express, because mm. we're all very aware of how to do it, but for women who have probably never touched their nipples that much, mm. um, you want to get your thumb and your index um, finger, index finger. Yeah. <laughs> um, around your areola, and you're going to push inwards and then out. Um, just remembering that your fingers aren't actually moving mm. where you, you've placed them on your areola. Often women will kind of do it in a way where they're like going along towards You don't want a little Chinese nipple. burn. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like rolling it. It's, yeah. it's not yeah. the same as milking a cat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is, that's the only way you can kind of describe yeah. what the incorrect way of doing it. Where yeah. your fingers start. That's where they should like end kind of yeah. thing, yeah. like sliding down your skin. Yes. Yeah. And it's also, so the goal of where you're pressing is where we want baby to eventually, once you've had baby, to be latching their mouth around as well. Mm. So it's actually quite far back. It's not towards the center of the nipple. Depending on your size of areola, sometimes it isn't right on the edge. If you've mm. got quite a large areola, sometimes it's a little bit closer in. Um, so it's a that's why it's really good to get to know and do it before so we do we're very pro antenatally expressing um, <laughs> was really i was really interested to know the answer to yeah. that yeah okay and cool. even just we don't really not we don't care but we're not obsessed with how much you get at that point no. we're not thinking in the back of our mind oh my gosh they're not getting anything antenatally it's this is going to be a disaster or yeah. anything like that and the that. dame study did show that that how much you collected antenatally had no sort yeah. of um, correspondence to how much you collected in the first, like how much your milk supply was when it came in but yeah. you can often tell the women that have done it or chosen to do it by the way that they kind of can get if they need to shape their breasts for baby to attach mm-hmm where to shape it because mm. they kind of get how their nipple and areola and breast tissue work yeah. a little bit more um, and it's also one of those good things that you are not a health professional you've never used a syringe before so often yeah, getting right. your partner involved in syringing you, the midwives are going to love you when you come which syringe <laughs> is just like the woman hand expresses yeah. and Sorry, the support I'm person good. collects yeah. it in a little little mini syringe. Yeah. I was just about to. I'm another Harker pro- product, but I noticed that they've got the one little colostrum yeah. collectors. Yeah. I I've used them a few times. Look, okay. I always like when I'm talking about antenatal expressing. I will 
I normally take just the normal sort of oral syringes. They're cheaper, they're yeah. easy. But some women, like I have shown them, like on, I've looked up the hard yeah. ones and they just find it easier to collect because it does obviously have a bigger opening. And it goes just straight into the thing and then it has a little Yeah, yeah and you can feed yeah. them through there. Yeah. The only thing is, I think they're like five mil as yeah. well. So lots oh, of women wow. then think, think they have yeah. to fill that. They and really build. No one gets five yeah. mil. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. A lot of women focus on how much yeah. they're getting. And, oh, I've got to get this. Oh, I'm getting a drop or I'm going to try to yeah. get more. Or it's, it's not. I think yeah. it just increases the risk of them stressing out, yeah. them feeling like they're failing, or increases the chances of them reusing that container. So they're getting one mil maybe the first oh, time yes. and reusing it again, yeah. which we don't want to be using in stressing sessions. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a little bit about skin to skin and the role it plays in initiating breastfeeding. Uh, That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love skin to skin. I think most people are aware, like it's so important at the moment. Um, it's really good for bonding. Um, helps initiating initiation of breastfeeding, help regulate all sort of observations, so temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate, um, glucose level. Yeah, so like the basics of why it kind of helps initiate breastfeeding is obviously it makes baby more instinctive. There's no clothing there. They can easily bob down. They can smell you better. And so it, it's much more, particularly in that first 12 hours, if your baby doesn't, you know, jump on the breast, there's nothing wrong with your baby either. But it does really assist with that kind of instinctive breastfeeding for them to like go and root for the breast mm-hmm. because they can smell you. It's a nice warm environment, great for their observations. Yeah. Like it's often the first thing if, you know, if baby has a high heart rate or a low temp and is still, you know, within that, it's just, you know, borderline. Yeah. Popping them skin to skin makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And it... <laughs> I guess when you look at it as if like they've come into this environment that it's all new, it's so yeah. calming for them. Yeah. To just have that like grounding, like sensory yeah, exactly. yeah. we just like mum or dad. Yeah. 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 And good for like connection and bonding yeah. as well in the sense of particularly breastfeeding mums, they feel a lot of pressure and sometimes they feel like their only interaction with their baby is, is breastfeeding. breastfeeding. Yeah. And so like you said, in that first twelve hours or at least those first few days, yeah. as much skin to skin as possible. Yeah. It's and amazing. It, and sometimes it's a tool we use weeks after Great. getting mm-hmm. baby skin to skin with mum, particularly if there's any like breast refusal or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. It's amazing how effective it can be long term. So if you've had separation from your baby yeah. and you haven't had that opportunity in the first 24 hours to do it, don't stress. Mm. Doesn't mean you're not going to be able to breastfeed. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean you're not going to bond or anything like that. And you can do it after, and that's going to help mum a lot as Mm. well. Yeah. And we know that significant hormonal changes occur once the placenta's birth. Can you guys just talk us through the transition of colostrum to milk and what women should expect in the first five days? So, as Catherine was saying before, the colostrum is sort of the small volume, thick, Liquid gold. Liquid gold. Liquid gold. (laughs) We have high in nutrients, high in everything. Absolute magic for the baby for the first few days. Then transitional milk comes in next, and that's based off a sort of supply demand. So in the first two, three days, baby's just going to want to be feeding constantly at the breast, particularly night two is when their demands increase. Ravenous. Yeah, ravenous. That's the perfect (laughs) word for it. Still (laughs) traumatised. And so many people don't know about that. They don't expect that night. So we call it the feeding frenzy. And it's essentially 12 hours or so when baby just wants to be on you, sucking, sucking, sucking. And it's really clever because they are bringing the milk in. They know that it's time for the milk to come in and they are stimulating that supply to come it's in. Smart little things, um, aren't they? That's a night you need good snacks and to be listening to a really good podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and key point in saying night. Yes. Yeah. 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 
It yes. always, yeah. Yeah, it's that's unlikely the, to happen during the day. That's the night yeah. my partner said, what have we done? <laughs> exactly. And it's often around the same time when the baby blues kick in. So all yeah. mum's hormones are going crazy. Yeah. And then bub just wants to be awake and ravenous all night long too. So it's a good night, like Catherine said, to have a partner around, have a support person, have snacks, have a good TV show you're watching. Yeah. Sleep's You're going to be happen. awake. Yeah. 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 Is it true that prolactin is higher at certain times overnight? Yes. Yeah, so um, a baby will stimulate more prolactin uh, in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. it's higher in the morning because of... And um, like... so your supply is higher in the morning uh, as yeah, a result yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. So babies often have their best feed sort of in the morning. Mm. From so interesting so. how clever the human body is, yeah. isn't it's it? It's amazing. It's really, really clever. You're not feeling like it's very clever no. while you're going through <laughs> the cluster feeding, but it's true. <laughs> exactly. After that feeding frenzy, then you get your sort of your transitional milk. So it's bigger volume, still sort of a goldy, yellowy colour. And then a few days after that, your proper milk comes in. So you get the engorgement, you get the full breasts. And that's when Bub's poo starts to change too. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd like to start to see changes around that 72 hour mark. So you're starting to feel the fullness and everything like that. Depending on the hospital that you're at, a wait might be done then or a day or two after. And then we want to see that input changing from that point as well. So your breasts will change, feel fuller, and we start to see an increase in urine. So once your milk is in, you're usually getting between five to eight vet nappies a day and frequent poos as well. They're a lot easier to clean, thankfully, (laughs) after that point as well. Mm -hmm. So they'll be going from that sticky meconium poo that you would have had in the first two days to a browner then to a yellower i've got all these kind of food descriptions that can oh. i'm not gonna like do that to your list <laughs> <not do that. laughs> like mushy peas yeah I think you actually going like back slightly touched on it how a mum is able to tell how much her baby is actually getting in terms of breast milk because it's not measured yeah so output really if it's going in it must be coming out one of the first kind of questions before we go and see a woman and kind of um, see how urgent it is is outputs a really good sign for us to see how baby how much they're getting because often women feel like baby is not getting anything yes. mm-hmm. particularly if they've been giving some express book or some formula it's a bit of a panic but just be reassured by the diapers and if you are concerned about the diapers if it's in the middle of the night the breastfeeding association's a great number to call <laughs> or you're hitting the buzzer and just asking particularly the first few days it can be hard to even figure out what a wet nappy is which yes. sounds silly but disposable nappies are very absorbent yeah, especially yes. if they're doing at the same time exactly. yeah. It's really mixed in yeah yeah um we also do a weight between day three and day five and all babies lose weight or most babies lose weight um we just don't like them to lose more than 10 percent yeah i think seven percent for small yeah. babies yeah there's always different sort of scenarios where babies do, like particularly really fast deliveries or yeah. some cesareans. Bub's still filled with fluid. They can sometimes lose a bit more, yeah. but that would just indicate that we need to keep a closer eye on the feeding mm-hmm. um, and see what's happening with mum's milk and the output and everything else. It's like sort of a big picture yeah. rather than just one thing. Yeah, because if you had that little bit more than 10% weight loss, but a woman is starting to feel breast changes yeah. potentially, we might jump onto things too soon mm. if we just look at the weight instead of looking at the full the picture. picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And like, is Bub acting like a healthy baby? Are they sort of alert and they are they demand feeding and they yes. settle in between feeds? So they yeah. need milestones. Um, yeah. 
I guess it's hard, like with breastfeeding, compared to if you're pumping and giving that by a bottle or formula feeding, you know exactly how much baby's getting. Yeah. Whereas, like, to just try to get through women's head that you don't know how much they're getting, but you just got to look for those things. Exactly. Yeah. I think people panic too if they have like a pumping session where they don't yeah. get as much. Yes. The baby's always going to get more yes. than you can get, particularly in the first few days when you're learning to how to hand express. Um, lots of people worry because they're not getting anything, the bub's not getting anything. But babies are really clever. They're yeah. getting something. Yeah. You have the milk for them. Yeah. And, like, ask your midwife. Get your latches checked. Yes. Even if it takes them a little bit of time to come to the room. Mm. Like, get it checked in those first few days so that you know what you're looking out for in terms of jaw movement and latch and everything like that as well. And what is the difference, I guess, between vaginal births and babies born by a cesarean with, like, milk production or...? So generally, I mean, I think the thing is we worry about, but women do too, is with cesareans, often that skin-to-skin is interrupted. And I think we're getting better. I think lots of hospitals are getting better at doing that skin-to-skin straight away, but not everywhere. There's lots of women that don't get skin to skin so I would really encourage women especially going into an elective Caesar where they have time to speak to yes. their care provider beforehand to really sort of emphasize that they want to do skin to skin because it just makes such a big sort of impact on breastfeeding and everything to yeah. start with too and sometimes too just the sheer exhaustion mm, of yeah. potentially you have not had the birth that you planned you yeah. had a long induction yeah. then ended up in a cesarean section which I'm sure we've all seen frequently yeah. <laughs> just that kind of mental load for women and then also getting a baby and trying to look yeah. after it can just the stress and anxiety mm. impact your supply yeah. a little and bit. pain as well like pain yeah. I guess the physical to, side too yeah, yeah. 100%. you're in bed you can't move around as yeah. much you can't yeah. position the baby as well exactly yeah, yeah. obviously there's higher rates of bugs going to NICU as well after cesareans too so that separation again expressing sort of stimulating the breast constantly doing skin to skin in the nursery like most places, I know where we work, that four or five hours after delivery, they will take you down to the nursery on the bed. You can do skin to skin with brain. Yeah. Just that sort of contact. Yeah. Expressing, even if you can't hold it up, expressing what you're looking above down in the nursery or can really help. Yeah. And yeah. if you've like elected to have a cesarean section, this is not like all doom and gloom. No. It's just sometimes you just need to be a little bit more proactive about a bit of extra expressing or anything like that. Or it just happens completely normally and on yeah. track for you as well. Yeah. I guess even like if for women that are having elective Caesar, these are just tips that they can definitely do. Yeah. yeah. 100%. In your opinions, how can partners best like help with breastfeeding support? Encouragement. Yeah. Because often, particularly when you're initiating breastfeeding, people are helping you it's really you don't feel quite empowered with yes. it and that's such an important role that the partner particularly because mm. they know you they know how to empower you a really important role that they can do and food we're yes. a big one we're we're snacks. Food. <laughs> food, <laughs> food and water have snacks and yeah. water bottles everywhere anywhere that mum could be stuck breastfeeding have snacks and water bottles yeah and helping like, in between yeah. like nappy changes yeah. like swaddling and putting bub down when mum finishes breastfeeding mm-hmm. taking shifts like say overnight she breastfeeds passes bub to you so she can sleep yeah and sometimes it's really you know like partners don't have it easy particularly when they've got small um like short paternity leaves yeah but like potentially making sure that their lunch is sorted when you oh. go off to work so that they have something really accessible yeah or just snacks everywhere yeah <laughs> I made a um, breastfeeding basket. Yeah. So then I just took that like wherever I was. Amazing. Yeah. 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 What was in your basket? Yeah. (laughs) Snacks, water, the remote, my phone. (laughs) So good. Remote. 
Except the snacks got like really bad. Like I'd put like an apple in there. I'd be like, I'm not in that. You just get like boring snacks. Like, yeah. yeah. Like muesli bars and stuff. I'd have like chocolate and stuff in there too. I had Sam deliver lots of snacks for me. So my yeah, snacks nice. were like, oh, oh you yeah. had yeah, nice. Like, and there wasn't, you know, and there was nutritious it. stuff, but like that was good. I totally get the stress that partners go through though. Because she asked me for snacks and I was like, oh my God, what do the I get? I, I came with like all these bags of things. She was like, oh my God, it was just for tonight. But sure. If anyone takes anything from this episode, it's snacks. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I'd be well aware of this the amount of times we talk about snacks and labor and food. snacks. Yeah. Because I feel like water and hydration, yes, it's important, but like there's a lot of good snacks you can get with an extra 500 calories, which is what you need with breastfeeding. Oh, okay. Ooh, so, you know, 500 calories a day? Yeah. yeah. Don't okay. restrict yourself to yeah. that. You can have more than that yeah. as an At extra. Least. Okay. Yeah. Extra. On top of yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, hang on, wait. Oh, I don't need to clarify. We're not promoting no, 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 no. 500. 500 extra. Extra. Because breastfeeding is hard work. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. really hard work. But yeah, lots of water. Too. And to get yourself comfy, I think, is a good yes. one too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lounging in bed probably isn't the best, best position sometimes. Yeah. You've got to look after like, yeah. your back and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back and neck. And yeah. the partner can also just like encourage some like self care time. So it yes. can even Love just be that. simple like, I'll grab Bub, you jump in the shower. Yeah. Or like, that's a good one. <laughs> Again, another classic Sophie line. So <laughs> my partner bought me, um, I think it was like, I was like pregnant, um, a massage gun. Like, if that's saying, I don't want to give you a massage, (laughs) it's handy. Get a massage gun, people. Okay, another one for you. What are the most common breastfeeding challenges you guys see? um, And how do you find this impacts perinatal mental health? Which I think, Sam, (laughs) you said you're also qualified in um, perinatal mental health. So how do you apply this to your current practice? That's just like the longest question. Good question. (laughs) Well, I think in terms of the perinatal mental health, it was such an easy decision to go back and study that. Not because I was going to work in a specific area with mental health or anything, but because it's just so common in all maternity and all sort of the Mm. postpartum period. Like it's such a big transition, such a big journey. One in five women have either postnatal or antenatal depression or anxiety and one in 10 dads as well. So it's Mm. really, really, really common. Mm. And I think through my course, I just learned more ways of supporting and being able to show up and just help women through that period. In terms of the most common challenges, I think just women not ex- not expecting that breastfeeding is going to be hard yeah i think we really like breastfeeding is amazing yeah. like obviously we think yeah <laughs> but it's not always easy and i think no. we do glorify it a bit and people focus so much on the pregnancy and the birth and they're like oh yes hard part's done yeah. yeah and so then when this baby is screaming at them and won't latch and they have bleeding nipples and yeah. they're not getting any sleep lots of people just crash a bit i think yeah. sometimes internally it doesn't even get a look in no, no. exactly I and it makes sense like the birth is so important yeah. and the pregnancy is so important but so is breastfeeding and yeah. so is that fourth trimester when you have all these hormonal changes you have a new human that is reliant on you and then throw the breastfeeding in there with sleep deprivation it's really hard mm. um i think probably the damaged nipples and just struggling to get a good yeah. latch are probably the main yeah. two yeah. things we see um and a concept that maybe it just was missed a little bit that your baby has to take milk out for you to produce milk. Yeah. So if you have used a little bit of formula, your body doesn't know mm. that 
Bub needs that extra. Needs that extra. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have lots of women who may have had damaged nipples or may have, may have had a bad latch in the hospital and sort of got missed, so had formula top-ups. And then we'll go and see them sort of a week or two later and they'll be like, oh, we're just waiting for our milk to come in. Yeah, they've lost this. But they've done yeah. no pumping or anything because they're just waiting for the milk to come yeah. in and no one sort of educated them that to get that milk in, they have to stimulate, stimulate the breast to get yeah. it out to start with. That's something that I see probably the most as well yeah. is that Demand. women people having babies mm. they don't understand yeah what supply and demand is yeah. and they think that they can breastfeed and then give a bottle yeah but then yeah it's like i yeah. think too because not to harp on about covid but um, <laughs> i think because people are tending to leave the hospital earlier yeah. with that kind of with the environment of covid their feeding in those first as we we're describing before can be so different mm. and it can just you just kind of get a little bit of education missed and you know we're seeing them like maybe a week after when they realize there's an issue and it's just yeah yeah and I think it's like nearly setting women up to feel like they're failing because mm. by the time we get the, to them they're like I've made this so much harder for myself by not getting help earlier or not knowing that this was a problem um I think social media like I always harp on about this yeah there are so many sort of all the ideals of motherhood and yeah. the highlight reels on social media that I've had so many women just feel like they're doing it wrong or that mm. they're not a good enough mum because they're not out having coffee 20 times a day with their baby, like, latched onto one breast, yeah. onto yeah. one arm. Yeah. Or even as simple as they're not able to exclusively breastfeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, I think we're getting better. Like, I think there's yeah. lots more sort of pages showing up that are trying to be more real and transparent. Yeah. 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 Kind of stemming off from that, I guess, is there something that you find that society focuses on too much or even too little when it comes to breastfeeding? I think the all or nothing. Mm. Like, mm. if you've failed at breastfeeding, I'm using my hands. You've failed and so you've just got a formula feed mm. or, you know, like, there's no failing in breastfeeding. It's the overwork no use of a journey. Like feeding your there's child. no yeah, failing. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can formula feed. Like, if that's... I've had that's what you who, want to do. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I've had women who that suits their lifestyle, that suits yeah. their yeah. family, and awesome. Like, Ash knows as a midwife... I would come into the office when I was pregnant and be like, yeah, like I'm taking my formula and bottles to the hospital. Like, yeah. yeah. That was just my... <laughs> and then look at you, exclusively breastfed. Sometimes too, and then women who really wanted to breastfeed and, and aren't really comfortable with the fact that they're formula feeding yeah. can still get breast milk into mm. their child, even if they don't have a sufficient supply. Yeah. So, yeah, like this kind of like all or nothing approach where maybe you could be mixed feeding your child if that's going to fit better yeah. with your lifestyle if you can't exclusively breastfeed. Hopefully you've got a really good lactation consultant that kind of yeah. help you with that choice. I think well. there is a lot of judgment out there too because I've, oh, I've had heaps yeah. and I'm sure you've had a few too of women like where we'll go around and they're nearly asking our permission or they're apologising because they don't want to exclusively breastfeed. And I don't know, that's just... It's breakfast. It's upsetting. Yeah. 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 Is that? And like, if you want to express and you yeah. never want to attach your baby to the breast, exactly. yeah. like that's what you're going to do. Like, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. And we're still here to sort of support you through that as well. Yeah. Like, even yeah. formula feeding, I've had consults for women who just want to sort of be taught how to sterilize, to yeah. work out a quota, yeah. to do the settling, which is really important. In between. Well. Like, that's yeah. just as important as learning yeah. how to latch your baby as well. Yeah. 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 I love that you're getting contacted for that as well. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes, too, formula happens in a way where they don't want to tell yeah. people and they don't want to seek help and so it's happening maybe not in the safest way of preparing yeah. formula yeah. as well 
And I think a lot of women that do want to formula feed from the start almost feel like they can't admit it to even like friends or family or they need a reason for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I'm formula feeding because of this. Whereas like, yeah. if you want to formula feed, go for it. Yeah. yeah. I think if you have all the education, yeah. you have the support and you choose to formula feed, by all means, yeah. like, there's no And, and maybe just like the important. education antenatally of like, if you want a formula feed, how to prevent your milk from coming in or once it comes in, yeah. then what do you do? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's too, it's just having the confidence to vocalize your own wishes and not yeah. having, yeah. yeah, like you said, the judgment of others because you do, and the time spent in hospital postpartum is really short. And like yeah. you said, particularly yeah. now during COVID, you need to absorb as much education as possible because yeah. how many times have we seen, and, and, and we've worked in models where we have good continuity with our women and they're all of a sudden we've gone home and they're exclusively formula feeding where on discharge from hospital they were exclusively breastfeeding and then it's like well that's totally fine but let's just do a bit of education around this but obviously there's a larger catchment of women who aren't in a continuity model that don't have as much um in home support in those first few days post discharge that need that education so we need to change the stigma around it for sure obviously we know that breastfeeding is really important but it's not for everyone and and like look we're lactation consultants so we cannot promote formula and that's (laughs) not what we're doing but it's also really important that women can feel like they can tell us what they actually want yeah and we can make sure that their baby is feeding in the safest way yes. possible yeah I and it's that. making yeah. that informed decision yeah. yeah love it and whatever your decision for your baby is the best yeah, decision 100%. yeah we're all about that i think like a baby is going to be much happier if they have a happy mom as opposed to whatever yeah i have a um self-indulgent question <laughs> how do you wean <laughs> <laughs> This one's all yours. So I have a two-year-old, full disclosure, who is still breastfeeding. Two, which is in two months. Yeah, which is amazing. I've really loved that journey. Starting to not love it so yeah. much. So it's quite individual to your child. Okay. So, for example, if your child will take a bottle, then sometimes it's just as simply replacing the bottle with the breast. And is your baby eating solid? So a baby under one, you're gonna have to be able to get your baby to take a bottle and wean them onto formula because they need that extra nutrients. You can't just wean them off breast milk and And expect them to like, yeah. (laughs) Anyone with a baby that age is quite aware that the food is mostly everywhere else and not in the mouth. (laughs) Um, So, and then it's about, usually I say target a feed and work on weaning that feed and doing it in a slow approach, particularly Mm -hmm. if you've got a really good supply still and the risk of mastitis. You don't want to just all of a sudden do tough love approach because you're probably going to get mastitis even by just doing a bit of expressing because obviously baby's draining it better than what you can express. Um, So target a feed and slowly drop the feed. Usually the hardest feed, I'm totally... And this is my child mainly, but no, usually the hardest feed is that evening night feed, particularly if it's a baby that likes to fall asleep at the breast. Mm. Love it. Let your baby fall asleep at the breast. Don't let anyone tell you that. that. (laughs) Um, It just makes it harder when you you have to wean. But the journey before that, it's so much easier to let your baby fall asleep at the breast. So that should be your last one that you're going to cut off. The nighttime one. The nighttime yeah. one. And then I'd be offering them food. If they're over one, offering food or potentially a bottle if that's what you're wanting to go towards. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be a formula. If your baby can have cow's milk, it can be oh, cow's milk over one. It can one. even be water, like yeah. over one. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah probably a dentist oh. will tell us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, water. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that. Um, uh, 
this might be a really stupid question. <laughs> we Luke, Luke question. warm water? You like, can't does the temperature matter? It's not, it's not like, um, you don't, obviously yeah. don't want it piping hot, no. but it's not the same as, say, like a newborn, yeah. because they're having different yeah. temperature foods yeah. and everything okay. like that at that age. Yeah. So you um, can just give tap water. Yeah. It's fine. Over one. And yeah, so it'll be different, particularly if you're over one, your child has a very strong personality that you already know at this stage. <laughs> and, and what it's, do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's finding different comforts as well, because... Obviously, mm-hmm. breastfeeding is a big comfort for them. So sometimes it's substituting that. Also, it's really when, if you've got a good support system, to utilize that support yeah. system because, you know, quite often they'll fall asleep perfectly fine with their other parent or a close family member, but with you, they'll want the breast. Mm, yeah. So sometimes... Although I'm saying that, I looked after Catherine's baby a little while ago and she tried to latch the baby. So... Really are teamwork. She did not try and latch because otherwise I would have let her because that would have made the weaning so much yeah. easier. She just noticed Sam's boobies and me and Sam are both very flat chested. So the excitement of Sam's breast getting noticed by my child. <laughs> you guys are just so close. Yeah, like, why not? These are like viral lactation consultants who like share. Yes. <laughs> just to clarify, she didn't latch. She didn't. I had a top on. <laughs> I wasn't naked. (laughs) We weren't doing skin to skin. No. (laughs) Um, So it's a difficult journey, but it's it's easier if you just kind of focus on a feed. So usually Mm -hmm. what's happening at this age is they will be having, sorry, at the age of your child. He's nearly one. He's nearly one. We'd be there, be waking up for a feed, potentially feeding overnight a little bit as well, um, and then doing like a nap feed before or after the nighttime feed and the feeds if they're waking up to still settle are going to be difficult and you probably need them to go to a bottle or something to suck so that they're still going to get that comfort Mm, motion and you know go away on a nice holiday or something Yeah. <laughs> You're getting married soon. Maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah, there we go. First night away from your <laughs> the wedding night. <laughs> and he no longer breastfeeding after that point. <laughs> what a because uh, I tried to drop a feed. Yeah. But then I got a blocked duct. Like yeah. I just tried to skim the feed. So Whereas I think even... maybe I should have like started the breastfeed and then stopped it and then given it all. So sometimes even <laughs> no. you could have, um, you can just do like a little bit of expressing even uh, weaning okay. and yeah. just like slow, because obviously with the expressing, you can control that a little bit better yeah. than your child's length of feed. Okay. So yeah. you could, so if you, even just slowly shortening your feeds, so it's kind of like, oh no, the, fin- the feed's finished. And then you get to a point where it, they're quite short um, and potentially they can merge onto the bottle mm-hmm. that way a little bit too. So it really is dependent on how your baby at that age is using the breast. And I guess it's really hard if like, they don't take a bottle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A sippy <laughs> Good cup. Good luck weaning. Like, no. <laughs> sippy cups can Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, they really hurt when your child whacks them in the head <laughs> when you're, like, trying to get them to sleep. So, like... But I guess you're going to just kind of do whatever you can do to try to get them yeah. onto something else if you're... Try yeah. a snack. Try a sippy cup with some milk. Yeah. Yeah. Even, like, a week of not the healthiest snacks. Chicken nugget, no. <laughs> like so that they like something it's, special. it's something special, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, I'd rather than that. Yeah. The booby. Yeah. And yeah. distraction, like, oh, here's the snack. Let's go to the park. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then if you're like wanting to wean because you're pregnant and you're, so sometimes you can oh, breastfeed yeah. when you're pregnant, um, but sometimes your nipples are extra sensitive and it's quite uncomfortable and sometimes that's a time people decide. Sometimes also baby, other baby, your toddler or baby naturally weans because it starts to taste it a little mm. bit different as well. Yeah. A slow process is usually the best for you yeah. and baby. Yeah. And when you say slow... What's the time? It's months. It really depends on how many feeds months. you're doing. Yeah, well, I'm asking for you. Months. <laughs> I'm not Generally not months. months. Yeah. Look, I don't know. Going for like, months, you're probably not weaning. Yeah. <laughs> you're still breastfeeding. And that doesn't mean you're failing. Just... <laughs> We're not getting anywhere. So, like, you could do it in a week? If you're, say, doing, like, three feeds a day, yes, probably. It's pretty. Okay. Pretty doable. Yeah. Doable. Because also, too, you probably don't have that much supply left. Yeah. Because yeah. your baby hasn't been taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Drop the one feed at a time. Once your body adapts to that, then go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Are so you ready to start weaning? Oh, started? I've already started. She takes like a bottle now. Yeah. 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 Finally. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Has it easier. been I mean, we talked about this for, um, when he was four months The old. introduction <laughs> of the bottle. I think I've been weaning for like a month. <laughs> See, it's fucking hard. You've been like that. pregnant because you've introduced the water. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You're empowered. I'm failing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I'm I'm a good team. Uh, yeah, there's going to be lots of like women listening that have a one year old hearing that you yeah. 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 takes a bottle and be like, damn, she is uh, not failing. Yeah, no. <laughs> it took a while. It took like a good yeah. over a month for him to yeah. take a bottle. Yeah. yeah. I think that's our rapid fire questions done. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been so informative and you both are incredibly articulate and I can imagine you're a great asset to the women that you care for. So you've done a wonderful, well, it's nice to hear this and it's wonderful that midwives, you know, like yourselves have taken yourself out of the public system and, and are working in the community because you know, that's where it's that's needed. where the impact yeah. and change happens. So, well done, you, and thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for thank you. So, thank you for listening to this episode of With Woman. We hope you found this useful for your journey, and you can find us on Instagram at withwoman.thepodcast. So, flick us a follow and get amongst it. You'll find our latest episode updates there, and also please feel free to slide on into our DMs if there are any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future. That's it for us. Bye. Bye.